everybody welcome this is season two of marketeers clubhouse i've got a, a guest today uh, his name's colin baden colin is somebody that i've looked up to for years not uh just from a business standpoint and i've got a lot of people in my life that i look up to um that have run large companies um not necessarily large companies but a really effective leadership um Colin is that, uh, but where I got to meet Colin, um, mostly was from a design perspective and I come from a world of building things. Uh, so when I get a chance to meet a super high end, uh, designer or someone who has the ability to effectively design product, I'm generally in awe. So Colin, welcome. Um, thank you so much for joining. There's going to be a ton of people. Uh, from the Oakley world watching this and they'll be happy to see you in your, in your beautiful house. Where are you located today? Uh, our place is in a, on an island in the San Juan Islands called Orcas. And we actually live on the water in a part of the island called West Sound. And it's, beautiful. Uh, it's actually where I grew up. So it's, it's very pleasant up here. <laughs> a little, a little, uh, a little bit of a, a, shocking difference from Southern California to where you are now, yeah. uh, which, a little. Uh, just a little. Um, but honestly, I, I think you and I, uh, I'm a, I'm a person who lives out in the country by themselves with my beautiful wife and I love nothing but sort of a slower, calm lifestyle. I love to dip into where the action in life is, but it's not somewhere where I literally want to dwell very often. So happily I don't. Um, You've had a, a crazy career and I'd like to, you know, we'll just get it out of the way. 20 years plus as head of design and, you know, CEO of Oakley through the heyday. And I've had the ability of having Scott Bowers on and Takumi, who is still at Oakley, has been a guest of mine. Uh, and I am, I've been involved in Oakley for so long that it, um, I know the inside stuff. So I, and I still think it's magical, which is amazing because usually when you get on the inside, you, you kind of don't see the magic, but what you guys did was magic and Oakley with you at the helm of it and, uh, running design, in my opinion, was the best product design company that has ever existed to this date, um, which is a bold claim, but. Um, we'll get into why I actually think that is, and it's not to sort of butter you up, but like literally that's, I, I actually believe that and I'm still involved with Oakley in the iteration of what it is under the helm of Luxottica today. And it, it, it's still Oakley, but it's a different thing, um, yeah. which, <laughs> you know, um, and again, I, I look at this and I go, not everything stays the same. Everything evolves. I believe corporations are definitely a living, breathing thing and um, they have the ability to change. And it just has changed into something that is not what it was. Uh, but you, Jim, uh, Bowers, Takumi, Link, a handful of others, obviously, there's a, quite a core group under you guys staged it to a position that a giant monopoly can come in, purchase this company and, you know, turn it into more of a, a commodity based product, which, you know, if that's their business model, that's their business model. I don't look down upon that. It's just a different thing than what it was. Yeah. Um, how did you get, I love the story and I know it, but most 
people don't naturally know it. How did you get to meet Jim? How did you get to go from where you were? What was your original vocation? Uh, well, I was, uh, first, thank you for all those kind words. I, it's always uh, surprising to hear a perspective like that. It just when you're in the trenches, you don't, you know, you're just glad to be doing what you're doing. The fact that people out there appreciate it is, you know, very heartwarming to hear. Um, well, back in, uh, before I got involved with Oakley and Jim, I was a partner in a architecture firm in Bellevue, Washington. And we did all kinds of architecture uh, projects from banks, libraries, private residences. And my uh, stepfather was a, is still a real estate agent here up in the islands. And he got to know Jim and was helping Jim find properties to build a house up here because he fell in love with the San Juan Islands. And uh, he was going through architects like you and I change our underwear. And he, uh, I, I don't know, I guess my stepfather finally convinced him to just give me a chance. And I, uh, I flew up and uh, met him here, not far from where our house is. And he, uh, he said, you know, quite frankly, I don't know what to expect out of this, but I, I thought I'd give you a shot. And, and um, uh, we went up to his place he was renting at the time and he handed me a pencil and he said, start drawing. And I, you know, as, as an architect, it, it just was a unique experience to have someone just want to sit down and roll their sleeves up and go right to work. And, uh, I think it was a, a precarious start, you know, Jim's, you know, fairly mercurial. And it was, um, it was, uh, I think both of us learning how to work together. And, uh, I'm sure there was many times where he thought, you know, this isn't going to go anywhere. And, and, uh, and that all that fun was about to end. Um, but he stuck, he stuck with me and I, I'm eternally grateful for it. And, uh, boy, we, uh, this would have been about like 93, early nineties. And we spent the next couple of years, uh, drawing houses together. And so it was never, it started out as not an Oakley thing, but as a, uh, as a personal development of a personal residence up here in the islands. I'm, I'm curious, how old were you at that time? I, I think I would have been like 33 or 32 years old. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, I'm always used to a kind of a linear progression in the, in the profession. So, you know, you come up with a schematic design and then you develop that design and, goes into construction documents and you build a house and you know Jim really was all about trying to define a new style or a new form and uh and it uh, some guys back at work we used to we, we called it the iteration experience where you kind of you know, drive the golf ball down the fair fairway and, you know, it's like a 200 yard drive and you're going, wow, that was, that was awesome. And you want to go up and, you know, you know, be happy with that drive to where it is. Well, Jim, 
wants to see the ball go farther all the time. And so that if you, if your construct is one to be satisfied with where that ball is, uh, you and Jim are never going to see eye to eye because he never wants it to be over. <clears throat> it's all about the hunt for him. And it's quite addictive. I see why he, you know, he, he, he you know, I see that, that, that mentality, you know, it's a, it's like a drug and, uh, you know, the highest high is when you know you've arrived because of all it took to get to that point. It's also the most anticlimactic because the ride's over it's, and you're frantically looking around where you're going to get your next fix. Mm. And, uh, and Jim was always one, he was, he was always one to provide the drugs <laughs> and, and it was it was it was a really invigorating experience to to have had, and he's he was he was unlike any other client because we you know we start on a piece of property here in West Sound and draw and draw and draw build models, and all of a sudden you know Jim's evolving and he's thinking well maybe this isn't the best piece of property to be doing this on and so while you're drawing for this piece of property he's starting to think further out and you know you'll get a call and say come up <laughs> and, and uh and you'll find yourself on a, a a new piece of property with a new program and this this just kept going you know uh we went from you know a place here on orcas uh to a place uh, on uh, uh crane island multiple lots and then we abandoned that and went to a smaller island called big double and did a whole bunch of work there um i mean literally we were building foundations and he would change his mind we would we would have buildings halfway framed and he would find something better or we would create something better or we we're moving properties again and the final piece that we settled on was this 400 acre island off uh, the, you know, just off the uh, boundary from uh, Victoria mm. called Spiden Island. And it's a beautiful place. And uh, it was big enough for an airstrip. And uh, that's, that's really where we started um, trying to build this magnum opus of a house, mm. which unfortunately we never did. <laughs> um, it all just crumbled into the sea that he and um, but along the way, you know, we, 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 uh, you know, we developed some, uh, style points that, you know, you been to the building so you can see what, how that manifested itself. So when we were doing the house on big double, uh, one iteration was a giant, uh, riveted bolted tube set in a pyramid. And about that time he was, um, uh, Oakley had gone public. Uh, they were trying to build a big uh, corporate headquarters in 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 uh, Irvine, and uh, you know he was he was uh, struggling to like uh, with our house project, struggling to put that over the line. And uh, I got sucked into the project with an architect down in Southern California that was working on it in this this beer can, um, 
uh, will became my inspiration to try to suggest a solution. And, uh, and Jim loved it. And he, and we were off to the races with this, with this execution. <laughs> Halfway through the development of the project, you know, they're breaking ground. Uh, Jim sees a, I think he sees a rendering of the project in the, in the uh, local paper. And it's like the first time he'd seen it from that perspective and he didn't like it anymore. So I think he handed me a, like a Buffalo nickel and said, see if this inspires you. And that's, that's how we came up with that Indian headdress of an entrance. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, it was, I mean, it was just an amazing experience. But the whole time I was doing this work, I had him, I was just fixated on getting this house going because I'd spent so many, so much time on it. Hmm. And so I was always hoping that by helping him with this uh, corporate headquarters, we could, I could keep him focused on finishing the house. And uh, that was, that was not to be. i have a feeling and i know from the inside it doesn't matter if it's his beautiful giant house that he wants to build or the you know brutalistic you know beautiful head office that you guys were doing it could be a zipper or it could be like it, it doesn't matter the the magic that i saw was this just insane um pressure. And I, at the time I was just, an, I was an agent. I was like, I, you guys right in that period, uh, Oakley had come up to Canada and purchased back the distributor, uh, and built a, um, subsidiary and put Jose, uh, who mm-hmm. I dearly love in charge. She picked her sales manager, which was the guy who lived in my territory, Calgary, Paul. Yeah. And they turned around and they interviewed me and, um, I fit the bill and plugged right in. And, and strangely enough, I was an athlete for Oakley as a, as sort of as a young man, I was a cyclist up in Canada as an athlete. So I've been connecting to Oakley for a billion years and my love for it was already there. Um, and I'd come down to the old head office and, you know, I was treated really nicely and, you know, just was getting tons of product. And so it was amazing. Um, but when I got brought in as one, of, I was, I think the first or second agent in Canada that was like under the umbrella of actual Oakley and got, run through a boot camp. It was mind blowing. And at that time we went down and the building was fairly new. Uh, and everything was just like this, just, it was like another world. It was like a, a something that I had never seen before. I was so used to standard and this was anything but standard, um, which to me sort of set off like who exactly who I knew Jim's story, which I found super inspiring. And it actually Jim's story. Um, I did some mountain bike tech design way back in the day. And his story inspired me. If like, if, if a guy who's a sales agent, just sort of operating on the back of his car can create something that creates this massive business, why can't I do it? And I was like, sure I can. I, you know, I had super healthy ego. Why, why can't I? And that's yeah. sort of what led me down that path. And in, in a lot of ways, uh, hyper defined where I am today because I operate on the exact same principle. My, my ego is slowly eroding and my wisdom is slowly rising, hopefully. Um, and that's the goal in life. Uh, but it's still that, that hubris to say, why can't a guy do it? Why can't that guy do it? And it, it's a magic story, um, which yours is 
just as amazing being plucked out of a f- architectural field. And obviously you're, you're, you have insane talents in that and product design. And then just like everything changes, it all changes and you just start evolving. So when is the time when Jim comes to you, I would assume there is a fairly defined period where he comes to you and it's like, we're done fooling around with buildings. Let's look at product or like, how do you, how do you go? I don't know this at all. How do you go from his, his home trusted home architect who he is happily iterating with in his manic fashion to, you know, many years later, the CEO of the company, this is an, an insane progression it doesn't happen it doesn't happen no nah, it's probably not that common especially i think our i think the architects are you know i think an architectural profession maybe seven percent of your role is actually doing design work the rest is being a conductor choreographer so i think because of the many disparate activities of of uh being part of Oakley or being doing houses, you know, you just are trained to work with a whole bunch of different skill sets. And I, you know, Oakley, I'm sure you've heard, you know, it's inventions wrapped in art. So not, I think you, you have to have as much of a, a skill at mechanics, engineering and technology as you do at understanding what good design is and uh i think having that skill set um helped me be successful in that role he um when we started working together uh oakley had gone public uh and a big part of the next uh product platform for the company was called x metal and uh, Jim wanted to bear, build a, a, a pair of sunglasses out of titanium. And he wanted it not to be uh, what was in the marketplace at the time, which is, you know, stamped, cut wire, plate, not dimensional at all. So it needed to be, it needed to be molded uh, because machining titanium, it's just not, a, it would not be an effective way to build a product. And uh, my father-in-law happened to be uh, a titanium metallurgist. Uh, and I can remember early on, you know, flying him out to Orcus and having these discussions about how to go about producing a, a, a pair of frames. Hmm. And uh, Jim and Mike bought a, Mike Parnell's partner, bought a plant in uh, Henderson, Nevada. And that uh, was a source of cheap electricity, which you need tons of produce uh, titanium products. And it really at that time was coming down to the design team uh, to come up with a concept that he could wrap his mind around. And uh, I could tell that the house project was getting less and less of his attention and XML and Oakley was encompassing more of his mind space. And I think it was in that 
that moment, I thought, you know, sounds like it, it, you might want, I could, I could come down to Southern California and help you manage this team, get this thing over the line and we could get back to the house. <laughs> he said, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, we, we moved down to Southern California and that was it. You know, I just, hmm. we, uh, when I think I joined Oakley, there was, uh, uh, like four or five people in the design department at the time, uh, Peter Yee, mm-hmm. uh, a guy named Chris Petrello. He's still there. He's a hunter gatherer, mm-hmm. uh, Carlos Reyes, great leader of R and D at Oakley. Um, uh, Dean Wilkinson. He was a, one of the first CAD guys. Um, I know I'm missing names. So if, if you're watching this and I don't call you out, um, I apologize. Um, all great people and we just started expanding that team and uh chasing after this x-metal design and uh i think the first parts of romeo the first x-metal glass Mm. um, came from henderson in the middle of the night and we were the first people in the building on the second floor of manufacturing it was a building was empty Mm. and we were back there uh, late at night, bolting this thing together so we could make 50 pairs and put them in the marketplace hmm. and, and tell the stock market we had done it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't think the stock market liked just 50 pairs, so we were punished for that. But yeah, it did start a great, a great uh, legacy in, within the company uh, around that product. No doubt. And if you could get one of those 50 pairs on Jordan, well, maybe the stock market's going to react a little different the next day, which is sort of where that ends up rolling marketing wise, which was, you know, I've had that conversation with Bowers, which is just its own type of magic happening outside of design and product, which was stunning. Um, so the first time I saw you, I was at boot camp, and you're running around in a lab coat with a giant needle as I remember it. The Kevlar. Yeah. (laughs) And it was right around when shoe one was coming out and everything seemed uh, the farthest thing from orchestrated. It was manic. It was fast. There was changes happening live at the time. There was a guy walking around. uh, I thought, you know, I was like, who, you know, everyone else kind of made sense. And there's just a, one guy walking around. I'm like, who is that? And someone's like, that's Jim, dude. I'm like, oh, you know, I was <laughs> like, is that the, like, who is that? Is that like someone's dad? Is that the janitor? Like he just was like running around whispering in everyone's ears. And I'm like, I have no clue what's going on. Um, and it was wild. And that continued for many, many years. Um, you guys sort of roll through, you change. That is like, one of the greatest explosions of a product line that has ever happened. And thankfully I was on the coattails of your guys' amazing work. It paid for everything in my life really, really quickly. I've told this story before. Jose hired me. Um, I was a designer, but our design had seemingly disappeared in the market and came back thankfully, which was amazing. I was running a snowboard shop. I just, you know, I'd quit um, being a pro bike racer, uh, 
I get this job with Oakley. Um, and I had no clue. They didn't tell me how much money I was making. Frankly, I didn't care. It would be better than whatever I was doing at, currently at the time. And uh, a few months later, Jose calls me. She goes, are you getting your checks? And I'm like, yes, I am getting my checks. And she's like, you're doing really, really well. What are you doing with those checks? I go, they're in my wallet. And she's like, Jamie, you're walking around with $70,000 in your wallet. And I said, yes. I, she goes, you've cashed one check. I go, I cashed the first one. It's more money than I've seen in a year. Like it, it's enough. Like I don't, I don't know what to do. She goes, grow up, put it in the bank. Go like you need to grow up. And it was just like, it was this explosion. And thankfully I was on the very edge of it. And I'm in a really amazing athletic based territory, ski, snowboard, mountain bike, road cycling, all motocross, all the stuff that would exist to uh, do that. So I got to be the beneficiary of this and sent my wife through law school, thanks to you and Oakley and all the different stuff, because the economy that was happening out of that building at that point was insane. It just went crazy. And you guys obviously knew that because you were there orchestrating it. Does your brand need some help in the trade marketing department? Manage your sales tools with regulators easy to use features. Whether it's fixtures or displays, POP, custom art or promo products, you can submit single or bulk orders for all your locations within minutes, using a simple, streamlined process. Deliver content, manage your budget and view the market, all from the palm of your hand. Move up to 10 times faster than your competitors and capture all the opportunities that put your brand on top. Visit brandregulator.com for more information. I always, I always have a question in this because I, I struggle. I've always struggled with this. Um, one, I, I want to ask you, what do you consider your, like, if you were to pick one, I don't like vocations, but one title of what you are. You know, and examples would be CEO, designer, whatever. What are you? What are you? Oh, I mean, if I look back on it all, you know, there was a lot of uh, responsibilities that I would have loved to not have. You know, things that I just, you know, never enjoyed doing. Um, but they came with the territory, so I didn't think they were negotiable. Um, but you know, at the core of it, I'm happiest when I'm, when I'm doing architecture mm. It's still my passion. Um, we just bought a old rundown inn that's been on the next to our house. That's mm. been there forever. I found a letter in the walls from 1876, which is so oh, amazing. It was probably built just after the pig war <laughs> and uh, it's in terrible shape and we need to redo it, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it because it's, it's right next to me. So I can go over there and do all the things Jim used to do to me. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it's, it's, I just enjoy it. You know, it's something, you know, my father's an artist. My grandfather was an architect and all the, as far back as we can f figure, everyone was involved in building stuff in some manner. Mm. And I love doing uh, our projects with my dad. We just finished one in Vancouver, BC, beautiful. 
Um, <clears throat> but in art, you know, there's, there's, um, it's more free from free flowing than, than architecture. And there's, um, I, I like the structure of architecture, the, the, you know, the framework of it and that you can actually make a living at it. Or my dad fortunately was a professor. So, you know, he could, he could pay the bills, but as, as to make it as an artist is a, is a massive uh, commitment as an individual. And, uh, the guys that have figured it out and can make a living at it, I know I'm, you know, hats off to them. Uh, no doubt. I, I, it, it, art is a magic thing. I like, so you consider yourself an architect, which actually to me makes perfect sense. I would add architect, uh, from a dystopian future because you, <laughs> um, <laughs> you have, uh, very diverse styles and a unique eye. So, and architect in the largest form of architecting culture, architecting um, teams are like, it's all building and structure and all these things, which would all fit within, I would, I would imagine fit within the sort of structured framework of how do you erect anything? Um, I'm a, I like to consider myself a builder, just that's it. Whether it's a, a birdhouse, a, a building at my property, I just built a, uh, and I know you've got great experience in this because you built a giant container city for Oakley at one point. I just built a <laughs> container office for out at my ranch. Now, I've got Aren't they every, fun? <laughs> oh my God, it's amazing. I've got actually, Colin, you'd laugh. I have every hipster style structure that one could have. I have, <laughs> I have a tiny home on my uh, property that's a cabin. Right. It's beautiful. I have a container office now. Um, I have a mid-century uh, bungalow. Uh, I have, uh, a metal quonset. Uh, I took a horse <laughs> shelter and converted it into a clubhouse at my, um, tennis court that I, it took me 16 months. I hand built a tennis court and I'm not allowed any more properties because I'm making all these buildings. I'm not allowed more buildings on my property. So, but I can have more free space. <laughs> yeah, I can. Well, I got lots of space, but the district says I got enough buildings, but I can have as many cause we're agriculture. I can have as many horse shelters as I wanted. So I said, I, I'm going to just turn this horse shelter into a beautiful clubhouse, which is what I did. Um, but getting back to it, so you're architecting these things. What I find really interesting, especially with Oakley and when things are super art driven, you have to have a balance between and the seemingly opposing values between design and commercialization. And that to me seems like a really unique push and pull. Um, it would happen in architecture all the time. How do you make an insane building, but still has um, the ability to be commercialized and, and operate as a functional profit center and all these different things. And that to me is the same as building, you know, Oakley was running wild. You guys, it was design handcuffs off for quite a point where you way guys off. would just way off and you guys would just be building you know, I got a Medusa behind me building whatever you want for whatever reason you want, but you would have to, you are a public company. What's the, like that, the nexus between commercialization and insane design and just doing art really. Um, there's a lot of tension. I would say at that point, how did you navigate that tension? Did you guys just not care? Did you do it? And then a somehow appease the 
commercialization gods on the other side? How did, how did that work? Well, they were diametrically opposed, you know, it's hard to be a public company and chase the things that we were chasing. They, they were always in conflict. Um, I think, you know, some years were good and some years were bad because we weren't able to resolve that conflict in a way that you could predictably talk about your business. Um, and I, you know, I think we were just enough successful that we could, we could play that game for, for quite a while. Um, uh, we, we, uh, I think we, I forget what year it was, but um, Jim felt like uh, leadership within the organization needed a, a new voice. Uh, we brought in uh, a gentleman named Bill Schmidt. He came from Gatorade. And, uh, you know, the you'll hear this term, you might have heard it back in the day, you know, when we were a small company, you know, doing a 150 million, 180 million a year, um, we would, if, if someone asked me, well, what is the brand? I would say, oh, the brand is the culture and the culture is the brand. And that, because you controlled everything, it really didn't matter what people thought of that statement. <laughs> you walk away, you most of them would walk away very confused. Uh, but if you work for the company, it was clear as day, you know, it, you could, it, it just made sense. And I think, uh, for those wonderful years where we could get away with murder, um, you know, that was enough. And Bill Schmidt era was kind of a, a wake up call to try to bring in some rigor to the business so that we could be predictable and that we could um, create value in the organization. And uh, this culture is the brand, brand is the culture, rejected Bill Schmidt with great violence. <laughs> I don't even think he made it a year. And, uh, and fortunately, Jim recognized that and, and, and decided that it was the right decision. It just wasn't the right guy. And so we went without uh, a CEO for a while. Uh, the management team kind of managed the business as a group. They're great people. Um, and it was successful in that regard. And we had a guy uh, join the organization, Scott, all of that, learned a ton from him. And he understood the culture, um, but he also understood what what Jim was striving for in, in building some rigor in our business. And he had a, he had a great uh, line I used all the time was, uh, what was, uh, the anarchy of, of making decisions and having to abandon your, you know, your ethos as a, as a brand and that it, it could be, it could be both. And it had to be both. And somehow as an organization, uh, we brought that together and started delivering like crazy. Um, the hard part about that is, is, you know, when 
in Jim's mind, when you, you know, you drive that golf ball down the course and you want to keep doing that, there's no end to it. And so to say, oh, we're going to do this by this date, you really put yourself in a bind on really exploring what the potential of a, a new idea could be. Very stressful, invigorating, but stressful. And somehow uh, we figured that out and uh, made the brand, um, you know, valuable enough that that a company in Italy decided to acquire us. Hmm. Which, again, is a good and bad thing. And back to Luxottica, um, it, it, it does make sense to, like, the crazy stuff that would come out of Oakley, which defined Oakley. Um, it's a real tough line to walk. You have to be involved in the culture so deep to understand what is going to work, what's going to move the needle as a crazy expense uh, to sell something else down the path. And honestly, I don't begrudge them from having to move away from that. I don't think many people or many companies can do that. It's a really tricky thing to do, to create statement piece after statement piece after statement piece and you know zipper 1.0 to zipper you know 10.0 that iteration and you know before you know it it's not even a zipper it's velcro or you know it's a it's this crazy evolution of a thing um and, and i find i find most companies are going to have to deal with that which i find interesting um i uh, hats off to you guys because this is like again i've been involved in the world of consumer products for a super long time i have never seen iterative explosions of the products that oakley put out that made oakley what it is you know to the level and value of what it was and it was a really small group of people and to me it's it's awe-inspiring to see that that's a thing that can actually happen. From brand development to simple market executions, 54Blue helps brands of all sizes grow with sustainability in mind. Their full-stack range of services include print, fabrication, design, web, interactive, content marketing, brand consulting, creative strategy, and more. Join some of the world's largest brands and lean on 54Blue for your next go-to-market. Visit 54blue.com for more information. Um, through this, and if you've ever been to Oakley Head Office, there's a tank parked out front. There's a giant missile. Um, it does feel like a dystopian future there. Um, Oakley has been super heavily involved in the military for years. Um, and they created a product that could save vision, could potentially save lives, could do a lot of stuff. The eyewear, there's endless. You guys will get endless letters from police forces where, you know, someone took a bullet to a glass or a shotgun blast and their vision has been saved by their product. The product was unbelievable. It was game changing. Not only was it super accurate for athletes uh, as far as its vision using XYZ and Potter Calypso and all the different stuff. Can, can you tell I was a salesman for it? I was really good at the tech. <laughs> Um, but it's easy to sell. Yeah. It it was actually really easy to sell. It was amazing because it was real. Um, you guys through, and you specifically, um, started a foundation and 
I, this is one of my prized possessions and in my infinite hero challenge coin. Um, Mine too. <laughs> what's that? Mine too. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sits on my desk every day, just so you know. And it has literally since I got it, I can't even put a vintage against this. It's been on my desk for probably since 2013 or something like that. It's been here forever. Um, I I'm, I promised myself I'd work really hard not to cry through this because I get super emotional when it comes to stuff. So uh, at the end of my podcast, sometimes I do a thing called um, the cool confessional where I strip off a layer. I, I have a, a feeling, Colin, that... Uh, if I go to my grave with no secrets, everyone knew who the true me was. So whether it's the fact that I've watched every episode of The Voice or I've like, whatever. One of them is, is I literally cry every time I hear the Canadian National Anthem. Um, because I, have, I hold a level of patriotism for Canada. And truthfully, I, it's the same with the U.S. It's almost worse. Our, my big brother, our big brother that lives below us that protects us that keeps us safe, that helps uh, democracies around the world um, thrive as best as they can, give people the freedoms that we've been able to have. Um, the far side of the glory of all of these things is humans have been at war since pretty much the existence of time. There's been continuously a war since the day I was born and all the my grandparents, and it, it's been continuous. And there's these people out there putting their lives at risk to um, end slavery, to uh, oppose dictatorships, to all these things that gives me the ability to have a podcast, to, you know, live where I do, to go mountain biking unencumbered in this beautiful country that we have without worrying that I'm going to, you know, face some sort of crazy um opposition to doing what I want, you know, as long as it's, you know, within the law, people get hurt consistently and endlessly. Um, you started a foundation, Infinite Hero, which I wasn't surprised at all when it came out. I didn't know the nexus of it, truthfully, um, for a couple of years, I didn't really look into it, but then I did. Uh, and you're at the dead center of it. Do you want to explain sort of, um, where it came from, why you did it, um, and sort of, you know, where you guys got to and where you're at with it. Uh, well, uh, as you mentioned, the, the products we built for the guys on the front line are always a great test of how good you are because of what they had to do. So I always put a a lot of a lot of my interest was in the work that we did for military first responders because it had to do these amazing things and you know people people depended on it not like riding a bike race or something it's life and death and uh, the great thing about doing those products and developing them is you got to work with these amazing people in the military and, uh, you know, super humble, smart, patriotic people. Uh, it's wonderful. And the dark side of it is, is, you know, when Iran and Iraq, Afghanistan, 
you know, you'd get to know people, they'd do a tour and they'd come back a little different or they worse wouldn't come back at all. And it, you know, because you personally were connected to it, it was, it was getting, it's, it was wearing on, uh, it's wearing. Um, there's a gentleman that runs the military business at that time and still does to this day, Eric Post, and he and I, you know, work closely together. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Poston. He, he, uh, he introduced me to many of these people himself. And one day, I can't remember the date, I think it was called Operation Red Wing, a uh, whole group of Navy SEALs went in on a, one of those big Chinooks to rescue uh, some operators in the field. And they took a RPG through the back door and killed everybody on the helicopter. And there were people we knew. And we were both very upset. And we... Um, we decided that Oak, Oakley in its space was uniquely positioned to uh, to provide some aid and comfort. And so we decided if we could put together a foundation that looked at this world through the Oakley lens, that, that we would use innovation uh, uh, as a, uh, acting like a... Um, you know, uh, an investment firm looking for all this crazy shit that, that could help this community and invest in it and then get it to a place where it could stand on its legs and then move on to the next thing. And that was our idea. So that was, I don't know, I think we've raised about $6 million since its inception and we funded hundreds of different crazy things. Some have taken off and become big uh, examples for that community of how life after service or in service can can be improved by some of these developments and technologies that exist. We're just going through a funding cycle right now for uh, this year, and there's four or five new candidates that we'll put money into that bring a whole new uh, concept to 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 the space. So everyone knows what the VA is, but the VA is such is a very large organization and it's not nimble. And I like to think of Infinite Heroes running around, throwing up all these possible what's possible. And it's nice to see that some of what the VA is trying to move towards is that more adaptive, uh, invest in some of these more specific treatments and support structures that can really make a difference. And if you remember that all the, the, you know, the veterans in the world, not just in the United States, are, you know, it's, these are big places, they're scattered, and the VA can't be everywhere at once. And so, you know, everyone, I think, would want to help a, a veteran that's been hurt. It's just how you do it and do it effectively. And, uh, and I think it takes, you know, a community of which Infinite Hero is part of to make that make that happen i mean and even you know we're we're out of conflict uh, but we're still losing 30 veterans a day to suicide so i we're far from being in a good place and and i think it's important that you know things like infinite hero exist and try to uh, you know confront these challenges within different unique 
in adaptive ways. That's interesting. The, it, I always look at this from a couple different lenses. You know, I'm helping, uh, one of our clients launch a whole bunch of retail stores all over in North America. And we're sort of going into these old column, like B grade strip malls all over the place. And we're going in and of course, none of the bathrooms are to code for handicapped and all this. And I was sitting down uh, and we were dealing with franchises and stuff. So I started using a fairly common line through this where I'd be talking to the franchise. I'm like, Hey, you got like, I, I hate to tell you, but you got like 10 to 30 grand worth of work you need to do to make this up to code for um, the disability sort of acts that exist out there, you know, correct hill, proper bathrooms and all this stuff. And they're like, they sort of roll their eyes. And I said, roll your eyes when a vet comes in in full camo in their wheelchair and they need to use the bathroom. Roll your eyes then. Roll your eyes then. I dare you to roll your eyes. Roll your eyes when they come in to get your product and they can't get to the cash machine on your till. Roll your eyes then. It's not, you know, the these things that exist out there that seemingly from actually an architectural standpoint, correct curbs, accessibility, correct aisleways, all these different things. To be honest, in some instances, they're annoying. They, they screw up commercialization. They screw up the look of in the inside. It makes you make decisions. You know, you have to bend for these things. But when you look at the far end of <laughs> who you actually might be having in there like i dare anybody not to feel like absolute shit if they go in and use a handicapped stall at a large event and they come out and there's someone in a wheelchair uh that was uh in service at some point if you don't feel like an absolute the lowest of the low at that point you have a there's a real problem and that kind of stuff is it's real like that's a real thing and hell, when I was young, I, I'd like that happened to me. And I was like, wow, never again am I going to do that? Because I literally just put someone out who spent their entire life. Literally, they spent all of it from a very young age. And then they spent it. Now they're in this, you know, challenged situation. And I was arrogant enough just to pop in and use that bathroom stall when I was 22. I'm like, that was a bad idea. But most people don't think of these things. And, you know the fact that you've got the ability to one, when you were running a large organization, create a foundation that you've got to carry along and do that, but throw up the unique perspective of a super innovative company, like to, to, to back it, crazy ideas, crazy ideas are what change the games. More of that is needed to get down the pipeline. Um, what do you have any examples of like, you know, the, Mental health, like there's physical health, mental health, um, I would assume sociological health, uh, you know, the person in society being able to get around. But do you have something that you guys have sort of run at the forefront that is got some legs that's moving forward that you're, you know, you're really proud that came out? Um, there was, uh, well, there's a whole bunch of them <laughs> go on for quite a while. Um, I think one ground groundbreaking <coughs> fighting the cold. It was a company in uh, Newport that had uh, 
and this is controversial, so I'm sure there's guys going to watch this and say that's a bunch of bullshit, but uh, this company uses uh, uh, electromagnets to polarize, in the simplest terms, polarize uh, and treat uh, 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 the human brain. Hmm. And so uh, we started funding vets uh, uh, to come to Newport and go through this treatment. And it was vets who were suicidal, suffering from PTSD. And it was highly effective. Hmm. And so uh, through our connections uh, uh, and our funding, we were able to bring this technology that was developed for, uh, you know, psychologists outside of the military sphere into that ecosystem. And it is now a nationally adopted treatment. And it's, it's very small, but it's, it, and it's very, you know, it doesn't work for everybody, but for the people that we've introduced it to, and it's been effective, you know, life changer, absolute life changer. And so I think that's one of the more out there things that we took a flyer on and, and, and won. And we've invested in things that haven't worked, but that's just the nature of the business. You know, you're, as long as we keep looking and trying, uh, we're going to make a difference in that community. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things just like that, 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 that are profound. And this is a community that uh, is, is so humble. That is something I learned early on in working with them. They, um, you know, you would, you would think ego would play a big role in, you know, a guy that's going to, or a girl that's going to go to battle, but it, ego gets people killed. And so that, that humble approach to life is a, it's a double-edged sword because these guys don't ask for help. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the last people just say, I got a problem. Could somebody help me? Mm. That's just not in their mindset. And, uh, and it's nice to see that change because they've earned it. And, uh, and I think that we still have a long way to go. And I think Infinite Hero still has a, a role to play today. Yeah, it's huge. The, the brain is such an undiscovered territory. We don't get it. The humans can't understand their own brain at the level we need to. It's, it's still such a mystery on how it actually really works and where's consciousness and all these different things. But, you know, uh, electromagnetic psychedelics there's all these different things that are kind of out there and slowly getting proven that you can do some sort of like i hate to use the word hard resets but there are ways of correcting these things that still are really not 100 percent understood and i really hope that um, either we're smart enough to get an ai that doesn't kill us that can fix this problem real quick um which who knows um or we just keep going down the path of trying to understand our own brain. Going to outer space is amazing. I love the idea. I think it's beautiful. But how about we understand our own brains? Yeah. You know, like Elon going to Mars is amazing. But Elon, get Neuralink done uh, so that people who can't walk might be able to walk again. That'd be pretty neat. That'd be a really, really interesting thing. Just get a, get a, a beta version of that that you can start putting in soldiers and get them out of wheelchairs and get them back to function 
because that that's actually a thing that can happen within our lifetime. No problem. Yep. So there, there's so many interesting things that I, uh, wish were here today. Um, but it just takes time, unfortunately, to, to yeah. sort of get around that corner again, AI might be able to accelerate that, uh, at an insane rate at one point, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> We're not here for the high rollers, snooty wine critics, or long-haul collectors, but we do think it's about time wine sellers turned into swoon-worthy works of art. Our experienced designers will bring your dream wine cellar to life, fitting any sized space and aesthetic requirements in your home. Our craftsmen carefully hand-build your cellar to give you a wine storage space that really feels like you. Visit themoderncellar.com for more information. Which leads me to ask you, you're, you're a a person who designed uh, everything you guys did was designing for the future. It was like a, a weird, like, let's project forward 30 years. What's, what does it look like? What does it do? All those types of things. What's your opinion on um, AI, the state of tech that's happening right now? Do you have a solid opinion of it? I know that you, you live in a quiet non-giant metropolitan area so it's not that you've shunned tech but you definitely same as me i'm like i'd rather be on my tractor uh and shifting gears than uh you know riding around on a bullet train at this point but what what's you know i'm interested and i'm curious what's your opinion of that stuff oh, well i think it's a, a fascinating tool right it's just um it just doesn't execute the way a human would. So someone sent me a, a, a link to a, an architecture AI and you, you type in certain parameters of what you want in a house and it generates this monster of a bad idea over and over again. <laughs> and so I just feel like, the AI world is not ready for that. You know, it just, I don't, I don't know that it could ever replace the human being. Um, and I, I, you know, it's a little bit of, it's, it's not just your brain doing the thinking. It's your pencil in your hand on a piece of paper moving. And so I don't know how a machine can replicate that experience to create what can be very wonderful in this world yeah the ai music is terrible uh if you yeah. like it's terrible i'm i'm a huge performance art uh human i love humans and their ability to like make things everything whether it's architecture or ballet or music and like the music is terrible it is actually like it's horrific that being said never is a really long time and with how fast we're moving in a hundred years, what is it? You know, in three years, it's something like, I, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would see anything that was GPT like uh, yeah. stuff, which instantly be like, one, we're amazing because to me, it's just a thing that's a, is an amazing new tool that's there, but I'm already used to it. And I get bummed when it doesn't perform as good as it should. <laughs> which is yeah. amazing because it shouldn't really exist. It's a thing that is 10, 20 years ahead of projected schedule. And it literally shouldn't be on this planet and it's here and it's, it's 
I'm already used to it and I'm kind of bummed. It's like not quite as good as it should be. And the next version hopefully is way more amazing, which makes my life way more amazing. Uh, but we get used to things way too quick. And um, so I, I find it's going to be a really interesting thing, uh, but replacing humanity and all its flaws is like, and, and all its beauty in all those things is almost impossible. It's um, hard to imagine. <laughs> it is. It is hard to imagine, but so many things when I look around this planet, it doesn't even actually have to take me very far. Sitting on my couch, the Apple, my Apple TV screensaver pops up and it's showing me images of these insane cities all over the world and architecture that I had never seen that is just like so mind blowing that you look at it and you go, that's not a chance that's real. And it's something in Dubai or it's something like these crazy things yeah. that should not exist. Hell, the sphere on its own, uh, which I'm really lucky. I get to go see you two at the sphere and couple of weeks um that that building is a marvel like it's it's an insane thing that there's one of those on the planet and of course we look at it and we go oh, yeah that's kind of it's neat but it's like it's so unique the ring mm -hmm. um like have you studied it at all um mm -hmm. there, there's a, I mean, I've seen it, so i know what you're talking about yeah the metal ring that supports the upper structure um mm -hmm. is the largest continuous mm -hmm metal girder i believe that exists that everything and it supports that entire upper like it's the whole thing is a marvel it's insane and there was a, a and i uh, implore people to go watch it there's like a a pre u2 plane at the sphere where uh edge and bono and some of the people are touring the building and they're like this is insane there's no echo like there's there's not an echo with inside this space and they're sitting inside and they're going running over parts of the show and spoiler i don't want to ruin it but it's out on the internet for a lot of people at one point they make the building disappear so the building erodes it just sort of breaks down and vegas is there all the way around 360 yeah. and they they start going back and like it's literally a, i believe a, like a semi-real-time projection of what's going on outside and then they slowly start removing the buildings until it's just the desert and it's like this just like <laughs> one i can't wait to see it but like it's so immersive that our brains can't even like can't even process it and i've had you know a few people have been to it and i know um someone who is the head of partnerships there and it's um is like what you see on you know from people's phones on youtube and stuff like can't it doesn't even remotely give it justice because the it's so immersive it's like staggering your brain can't even remotely keep up which that kind of stuff to me is just phenomenal um yeah and i'm so excited to go see it um colin uh this has been an absolute pleasure thank you for being you uh thanks for your <laughs> unique journey um again i don't know if like you should know that you're inspiring and you're literally one of my uh one of my i don't use the word heroes very often but like hero-esque person that i look to and and go there is this amazing balance between crazy art doing what you want commercialization um small you know leaders of small teams that can make super impactful uh waves across a globe which is what you guys did um thank you jim everyone and out of that core team for doing it because it fundamentally changed the way i look at how to run my own businesses uh also you know from jim's story all the way up has given me fuel to 
do everything I do. Uh, and I, you know, not all of it's successful, but I love creating and doing things. And whether it's a flop or whether it's a commercial success, um, I don't care. And I don't care necessarily because, you know, of course I'd love them all to be commercial successes, but I don't care because I got to create and creating to yeah. me is like, that is like, that's my legacy is creation. My legacy isn't how successful any of those things were. It doesn't matter. Right. And I learned that doesn't matter to me in a large part from you guys. So thank you. <laughs> and I say that from the bottom of my heart, thanks for your foundation, uh, supporting the people who support us to live the trivial lives. I make things to sell sunglasses and I make things to sell puffy jackets and I make things to sell hockey skates, it's all worthwhile stuff. And it, and it allows me to do things, but I live a trivial life safe and out of harm from bad <laughs> people on this planet because of of those people and thanks for supporting them and recognizing that because i don't believe enough people do they don't take the time out of their day necessarily to appreciate it they just sort of roll through expecting it we're not fighting so it must must not be a problem yeah it's uh well it's a you problem. Know, yeah it's a problem and we say this with the uh perspective of where we are today and if i said anything that you know, our world is so fast and I wanted to start saying this on podcasts. We're recording this for January and we're doing this almost in November. It's just the end of October in 2023. And there's a war in the Ukraine, um, the Gaza nightmare between Israel and that whole area is a nightmare. And we're sitting here peacefully living in our existence while other, you know so many people are either being displaced with war being killed by war and these are innocent people not just people you know making the decisions and making those yeah. decisions then dying these are people that are innocent or people who then have volunteered to protect the freedoms of any of these things and hell i feel bad for everybody there's so many innocent people being toyed with so um Hopefully, uh, by the time this airs, some of these things have been resolved. Who knows what the future brings? Um, but thankfully, um, where we are now is uh, safe and sound in North America. Yeah. So I will uh, respect everything that's happening out there, but I will also continue to live a, a happy life because I believe that's what my job yeah. is. So, um, Colin, thank you. Uh, I count you as a... Uh, someone that I know that I value and, and I appreciate the access to be able to speak to you today. I'm sure tons of people have learned a lot of stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm short of words at the end because, uh, I'm just very happy that I got actually a chance to really sit down and chat with you for almost an hour and 10 minutes. So Colin, <laughs> thanks. Um, I really oh, appreciate yeah. it. And, uh, Here's at one point, day. you know, when you get your in open, uh, I would love to come yeah. and visit. <laughs> yeah. A, an unbelievable, beautifully, uh, um, beautiful part of the world. I'll load up in my other hipster thing that I have, which I, I built a, a fully built out sprinter van. Uh, like I said, you I gotta have, have them. I have every hipster thing. That <laughs> a life possibly. changer for us. <laughs> yeah. That we, uh, we lost our, uh, 16 year old dog, uh, at, on New Year's 
Eve day last year. And I looked at my wife and I said, before you fill this place back up with more dogs and horses and all these other things, let's go drive around in the van for a month or two. So we went and toured around America and fell in love with so many places. Isn't that a gas? It, it we is. Bought, we bought one when I left Oakley and I just spend months on the road in the 22 foot vehicle. It's just nothing better. It's beautiful. We, we actually, again, thanks Elon. We stuffed a Starlink on the roof, made I made a little uh, housing for it and I can tour around and my wife, you know, she's a lawyer, so she kind of needs to be in contact. Uh, and we're sitting out, uh, we made a point of going to uh, big dune, which is just outside of uh, Vegas next to area 51. Cause we wanted to yep. go see one, if we can see aliens and two, we want to go camp in the desert for a few nights. Um, and, uh, we're sitting there streaming Netflix in this beautiful, tiny little thing, enjoying a nice dinner and there's <laughs> nothing around, nothing anywhere. Yeah. And it's just, it's such a different, uh, a different experience. And we woke up the next morning to, uh, and I don't know what there would be. I would assume they're F-18s, uh, flying over us about 20, <laughs> felt like 30 feet above us. I'm sure it was 30 meters, but they were so close. I could see the pilots. And oh yeah. It, was, like, <laughs> it was, uh, what, like I thought the van was going to tip over, um, <laughs> which was amazing from the jet wash. Uh, but just to like experiences beyond anything. So if you can afford one, or if you can somehow cobble together something that lets you do that, uh, get a van, go live down by the river for a few days and enjoy because it's a yeah. different world. So. It's a really, really good time. Oh, it's a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Colin, thank you so much. We'll be in contact. Uh, everyone else, thank you so much for listening to the second season of Marketeers Clubhouse, um, where we sometimes talk about marketing, uh, but more about business and life in most instances. Uh, Colin, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, James. Have a good day. Yeah, you too.